Welcome to episode 31 of the GameBots podcast. I'm your host, Eric, and this is my co-host. It's Christian. On this week's episode, we're going to be discussing the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, and we have a special guest, Adrian. Adrian, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, I am a, I'm Adrian, and I work with Christian at the cinemas, and uh, he says that I'm a huge Marvel fan. I'm just a fan, so we're just going to put it that, okay? <laughs> so we are going to be discussing the Marvel movies released between Iron Man and Age of Ultron. So first, did you guys get a chance to, well, so first, uh, what did you guys think of Iron Man? This movie rules. This was the one, man. It was it was the first. It was the big one. Yeah, I, I agree. I remember this movie less fondly than some of the other ones, but on the rewatch, it totally holds up. As a I'm actually not an Iron Man fan, but I will say that when you rewatch them, they're they're phenomenal, especially the first one, Iron Man, uh, for the fact that it was the granddaddy. It was the it was the one that started it all. Yeah, if this one hadn't been so good, like the MCU would not have happened. It would have been, it would have been like the Mummy, where they made the first one and it didn't make any money, and then they were like, "Well, I guess we won't make any more of them." Like this, this one had to work. Yeah, and and originally I didn't think they had planned all this from the start. I thought they kind of were winging it until I rewatched it and noticed how much of the blueprint for everything they eventually do they actually had in place. Uh, with Coulson being in it and with S.H.I.E.L.D. and everything. So that was really, really cool because I probably haven't watched this since like 2009. Wow. Yeah, it was ambitious because like the, the, there's all sorts of things laying groundwork for future franchises like this now, but I don't think up to this point any studio had done anything this ambitious. Well, I mean, it was even in the uh, credit scene, was it Fury proposing the Avenger Initiative? When he when he actually you know said oh wait this is actually he what did he say you think you're the only superhero in the world you became part of a bigger universe you just don't know it yet and when he said that we didn't even know it yet yeah so it was just when Fury said that I was just like oh okay but on the timeline he's are he's already dealt with Captain Marvel and Captain America at this point. Uh, well, he's definitely done Marvel. I don't know if he's dealt with Captain... Had, did they find Captain America before Tony Stark? Well, they may not have found him, but like he's he's been in S.H.I.E.L.D. He knows the history. Like He, he oh. definitely is aware that these people exist. Yeah, that's, that's true. So let's get into the specifics of the movie. Uh, let's just do, like I guess, either high points or low points. Uh, high point for me, obviously, is opening and the introduction of Tony with like the cave and stuff. Uh, what about you guys? I think my highest point is the the actual Iron Man intro, like when he is fully suited up and he goes and rescues that town from the the uh, the rebels. Man, he he just rolls in there and then he has to fight the fighter jets to get back home. I, I to this day I think it might be the most badass scene in the MCU. Now my favorite moment was actually at the end when he you know he was like Rhodey even said read off the cards. Read off the cards. He's in that news. He's in the press conference and he just flat out says, I am Iron Man. Now that just threw out every single theory of superheroes and identity. He just, uh, he just totally put himself out there and said, I'm Iron Man. And that was just like, Whoa, wait a minute. Wow. And so. you know, to piggyback on your point, if seeing this in 2008 compared to every other movie, a uh, superhero movie that had been out, 
all the Spider-Man movies dealt with him having a secret identity. Uh, Batman was all about him not being able to be with, I forget who his love interest was in Batman Begins. Uh, the only ones who were kind of out there were the X-Men, and they are all hated. So it's never like we had a popular superhero who like the world loved at that point with their identity out there. Exactly. Yeah, it, exactly. it set the tone for the whole universe because really, like, up up till um, up till the Winter Soldier, Black Widow was really the only one that had a quote unquote secret identity. Like everybody knows Iron Man is Tony Stark. Everybody knows Captain America is Steve Rogers. Everybody knows Thor is Thor. Like they did not have to waste any screen time with the uh, secret identity subplots of trying to like keep everything under wraps. It was just like, yep, this is me. Like, sorry, I gotta go fight crime, and and they can just leave and. Like in Iron Man three, it, it, he just parks his suit out at the curb that he can just walk right into it and fly away. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so, what'd you guys think of Jeff Bridges as Obadiah Stane slash the Ironmonger? Yeah, it's it's Jeff Bridges. Absolutely, it's the dude. I I liked him. Maybe I was just a, a naive eighteen year old moviegoer. Like I hadn't seen as many movies as I have now. The the twist of him being the bad guy caught me off guard. I really enjoyed it the first time I watched it. It's a little more obvious to me now watching it that they were that's what they were building up to. But the first time I saw it, I was I was surprised. So I think it was uh, I think it was a success. See, I had the opposite effect. I actually I it was he he played a great, great bad guy. But it was just the fact that I I soon as he came back from the uh, from the cave, I kind of figured, you know, Jeff or Obadiah was going to be the villain. And it, you know, I out of my villain, like out of ten, I gave him a six out of ten because it was so predictable for me. Hmm. I just really like Jeff Bridges, so I liked how he played up uh, the the corporate CEO. I don't think his plan, like I understand him being a villain when Tony comes back and he wants the arc reactor. I don't understand why he killed Tony or tried to kill Tony in the first place. Like Tony was his golden goose. Oh, it's because he wanted to control the company. But but Tony was like the company at that point. Like he designed everything. So like even if you have control, you're going to like you're going to kill the company. Yeah. Yeah. I just I thought he was just a great actor in this. Like he he transitions so seamlessly, but also suddenly from being this kind of like chill, laid back, goofball kind of buddy to being like fairly menacing. However, I didn't like it when he got went to the suit, his own little suit. He, he, yeah. he it was it was a little too much for me at that point. Well, it was the, it was the first example of the the villain is just the hero but evil. Yes, that is like the I think the biggest weakness of the Phase One movies are a lot of the or even a lot of the um, origin movies in general are the bad guys are just the good guys evil counterpart. Yeah, what do you guys think of Pepper Potts? Love her. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> well, I don't like Gwyneth Paltrow, <gasps> and I think it just translates to me not liking Pepper Potts. Oh no! The first thing with Pepper Potts is where I fell in love with her when she's talking to that journalist, and she comes downstairs and she goes, "I do anything and everything for Mister Stark requires, including occasionally taking out the trash." I want. I love you. Major shade right there. <laughs> yeah, I I thought she was fine. I 
am generally not a fan of love stories, so I'm glad they just didn't make her immediately swoon for Tony and actually push back on him ditching her at a party. That's something the MCU kind of does well is there's not really much romance plots in in these movies, which is good because that's not what I'm watching them for. Me too, actually. (laughs) And the the last thing I want to point out is I actually really like the character arc of Tony Stark where we see him at the very beginning. You know, he's a very big personality living a hedonistic lifestyle. And by the end of Infinity War, you know, he's all about saving the world. Whereas before he, you know, he was a weapons company manufacturer and profiting off of the deaths of many people. So I think he has one of the most interesting character arcs in the, in the, in the series. I do like his arc in this movie. I'm going to talk a little bit more about his arc when we get to Iron Man 2. I love the fact that it was his own bomb, his own creation that is the shrap metal in his heart. Yeah. When I, I, I was re- reviewing it this morning and I was just like, oh, wow, wait a minute. It was actually, that was that trap metal. And so he was killing himself over that. And if I somehow released a genie that granted me three wishes, I think wish number one would be a complete reshoot of Iron Man with Don Jeetle instead of Terrence Exactly. Howard. Is he kicking himself now? He has to be. <laughs> So the second movie in the series release was The Incredible Hulk. And again, I think we're all kind of of the similar minds. Uh, what, did, what did you think of this one, Adrian? Oh, I, um, yeah, I didn't. Uh, yeah, uh, we can. We can. It was it was bad. It was. You know what my biggest problem was, is that everything was green. Everything was very green. They they tinted this movie to hell. Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of things wrong with this, with this movie. But to be fair, I will start out with some things I did like first. One was, I'm glad that they didn't try and do a whole backstory. It was just told through the credits, except they introduced everyone major in like the two minutes of credits. Uh, and the other one was, I really liked Tim Roth. And I was surprised he was in this, so it was cool to see him, even though I do not think he is a soldier. Oh, it was funny watching it on Amazon, and uh, they were actually giving like the backstory of like with the like British soldiers will never wear an American uniform. It was just like, oh wow, Amazon's even actually uh, crucifying this movie. <laughs> I hated rewatching this. <laughs> so I watched it. Once in theaters, I watched it once like a year ago when I did like a tiny rewatch, just stuff that I hadn't seen in a long time. And I sat down last week to put this on and I was like, God, no, like, I hate this. Yeah. Well, I was talking to you, Christian. I was saying, I think I'm going to rewatch The Incredible Hulk. <laughs> you were like, no. Yeah, and that, like, why? <laughs> and then it said you would have to rent it for $3.99 again. And I went, no. <laughs> I had legitimately forgotten Liv Tyler was in this movie. And I think <laughs> so does the entire MCU. Yeah, she's not brought up or mentioned ever again. No. Like, at least when Natalie Portman ducked out of the franchise, they, they like, at least put a throwaway line in, like, oh, I heard Jane dumped you. Like, there is no mention of Betsy Ross ever again. 
Bruce Banner comes back. General Ross comes back in a big way in Civil War and 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 onward. Like she is never mentioned once. No. I heard, I read somewhere that she may have been dusted. <laughs> From the second the credits rolled, she ceased to exist. Yeah, man, there's so much weird, like weird with this movie. It's that I mean, you know, they have the. Uh, the string at the end where we think Mr. Blue is going to make a return as some form of bad guy because Bruce Banner's blood somehow turns people into hulks or something like totally ignored after this. Yep. And let's, let's take a moment. I, I, I might be jumping the gun into the, the villain realm, but let's take a moment to talk about how abomination at the end of this movie is not dealt with in any capacity. Yeah, not at all. Hulk beats him up, strangles him a little bit, and then he's just laying there in the parking lot and everyone's like, hey, you saved us. No. Like, can he be killed? If he's a Hulk, isn't he basically immortal? If he's a Hulk, there is literally no prison that can contain him. Yeah, I don't know if he's technically a Hulk because it was more with that serum he used, but... He's clearly like some form of mutated superpower being like, I, I don't know how you would contain him. Like, it, the internet says he's in some kind of prison that S.H.I.E.L.D. runs, but then we like with Civil War happened and Hydra took over, like, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. delves into this a little bit. Like, all of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s tech goes rogue. That's how the, that's how the bad guys get the Loki scepter at a certain point. Like, Abomination is just completely forgotten about him. Just like Betsy. He, I mean, he should be. He wasn't a great villain. I like Tim Roth a lot, but he wasn't a great villain. Yeah, it was like I I had not remembered how open-ended they left the end of this movie where it was just like he's just kind of sitting in the parking lot. He's just like, I'm done fighting for now. And then that's that's yeah, it. And I, I actually want to get to my, my, my other biggest pet peeve of this movie. And also, I guess... Bruce Banner in general, he's like so worried about being the Hulk and hurting people. He relocates to the favelas in Rio de Janeiro. And in the Avengers, he's living in like the in the slums in India. And it's like, dude, you will cause so much damage there. <laughs> yeah, seems dangerous. OK, you want to hear what my pet peeve is? Sure. <laughs> you have Bruce Banner, who is a genius, right? Like almost Stephen Hawking's kind of genius. And he's learning Portuguese by watching Sesame Street. <laughs> I was like, is he? Rosetta Stone is a thing that exists, Bruce. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was just like, wow. Also, why I, I sometimes think they did not uh, have an idea where they were going with this is they had, at the postcard scene, they had uh, Robert Downey Jr. recruiting Bruce Banner, which... Makes absolutely no sense in the larger context of this series because he was never like Shield didn't really want him until the Avengers, and it, like I feel like they they acted like they first met in the Avengers, like they they had not previously met at a bar. So that scene is interesting to me because, with the exception of General Ross coming back like fourteen movies later. <laughs> That scene is the only thing that ties Incredible Hulk to the rest of the MCU. Yeah, they could have dropped this movie and no one would notice. Yeah, with without that scene, they could have easily just said, oh no, this was just another Hulk movie that didn't work out. 
but because they had Robert Downey Jr. appear at the end, that like that sealed it. And it's it's just so funny to me that that's the the one like thirty five second clip after the credits is the only reason they can't be like, no, we never made a Hulk movie. Now, gr- granted, Edward Norton is a fantastic actor. He was just so completely miscast in this movie. I was gonna say, not in this. Yeah, I, I don't like him as Bruce Banner. Like he's like he's not nerdy at all. I don't know. I'm very aware I'm watching Fight Club or something when I'm watching him in this. Like Bruce Banner's not a good fighter outside of being the Hulk. Yeah. No. Yeah, I completely agree. And it was just the fact that it was just so awkward watching him. That was the probably your best way, you know best way of you know piggybacking off of you is it was just so awkward watching him. Yeah, so I, I do want to give one yeah. shout out. Phil Dunphy, Dunphy from Modern Family appeared in this, which I didn't pick up. Yes, Is, was he the boyfriend? Yeah. He was the psychiatrist. What were the uh, was psychiatrist? Yeah, he was. Yeah, the psychiatrist, whatever her boyfriend was, and he he's a real turd. <laughs> uh, going from one low point to I think generally considered another low point, Iron Man two. Christian, what'd you think? So. This movie was a failure. Let's be upfront about that. It was not great. However, it's not nearly as bad as I remember it being. And there is a very decent chance that I only think that because I watched this back-to-back with The Incredible Hulk, and really nothing compares to The Incredible Hulk. But this is not nearly as bad as I remember it being. Mickey Rourke isn't bad. He's a great actor, and he plays this part pretty well. Sam Rockwell was a lot better than I remember him being as the kind of bumbling Justin Hammer character that was like so out of his depth with dealing with uh, Mickey Rourke's character. Um, there was a lot of it I didn't like, but there was a lot more that I did than that I was remembering. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I remember thinking this movie got a bad rap, and there are parts in it that I still think are questionable, like Tony peeing in his suit. But... <laughs> I really like Mickey Rourke, and like you said, Justin Hammer was, like, I thought he was hilarious. I, I, I read some stuff online, and I think he's somewhat controversial. Like, some people like him, some people don't, but I thought he was, like, the perfect tech bro trying to work in a, in a field he really, really was not capable to. Uh, especially when he was, like, talking about, like, oh, me and Tony Stark are friends, blah, 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 when he was trying to get that expose of him in the magazine and stuff. So I, I thought that part, like, those parts were good. It seemed like Rourke should have been developed more, and I read online a lot of his his parts actually got cut. I like the idea of Vanko being, like, the anti-Tony Stark, um, but him being able to create an arc reactor after seeing Tony make it kind of cheapens Tony's ability to do it. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I like his story a lot. I like the idea that, uh, Tony's dad kind of had to disavow and get have his dad deported and the whole backstory because that was something that I didn't really pay attention to the first time I watched it. But then, like, I've read a lot of stories about, like, the history of scientific advancement and the history of invention and things like that. And this kind of stuff happens constantly. So the idea that there's some, like, jilted family that that's harboring a grudge because somebody got all the credit from their invention is, like... That's now very real and believable to me. Yeah. Uh, but let's get on to the bad. And my two biggest problems are 
there are there's way too many things going on. We have Tony with the palladium poisoning. We have like the transfer of the company to Pepper as like a side issue. The shield agents are there. We have the roadie side story, and then we have two villains. Tony's blood was like eighty nine percent toxic with palladium. Wouldn't he be dead? Like, oh yeah, I, sure. I, it seemed like they were trying to do a toned down version of Iron Man's demon in a bottle storyline, um, but. I didn't like how they did it. I feel like if they were going to make Tony so crazy and stuff, it should have been like him wrestling with the idea that his weapons were used to murder so many innocent people instead of just making it this weird palladium thing where he's like, I'm going to die. Yeah, there was a lot going on and you could tell like it was crowded. I think my biggest thing and this like it's nitpicky, but my biggest thing is you can't just make a new element. That's not how the world works. Yeah, no, like, no. He just like he's like put me in a lab. I'm going to I'm going to build a, a like a particle collider or something in my lab. Yep. Yeah, you like we can synthesize new elements. We can make them. We've made a uh, hundred. No, we've made sixteen to eighteen new elements beyond what's like naturally possible. But here's the thing, they're all crazy radioactive, and they're all very unstable. They decay in, like, less than a second back into normal stable stuff. You cannot just be like, oh, I'm going to squeeze a stable element in between, like, 7 and 8 on the periodic table. It does not work that way. It And they could have solved that so easily by just calling it a new compound, or, like, a new alloy, or literally anything other than the word element, and... It would have been fine. Everything would have made sense. Yeah. Um... It, it's just one of those things that it's that drives me crazy in a lot of movies where like ten seconds worth of googling could have like saved you this trouble. Yeah, yeah. It. I will say like there, like you were saying earlier. I think there are some big misses in this movie, but one one of the best scenes I really liked was the Monaco car race when Falco comes out and just slices him in half. I thought that was that should have somehow been the ending scene or whatever because that was way better than the final ending scene. Oh, agreed. Oh, you know what I loved was the um the scene with Rhodey and Justin Hammer and Justin Hammer's doing the uh, the weapons presentation. I never giggled so much in my life. And the only reason why that scene held together was because of Sam Rockwell. Yeah. <laughs> I also like the callback to it where he shoots the mini missile from Hammer and it does nothing to <laughs> the bad guy at the end. It's like, tink! <laughs> yeah, it's like we were saying a little bit ago, we we love Justin Hammer, but like I think, like Eric, you said that you like him because he's just kind of incompetent at what he does. I think I like him a little bit adjacent to that because he has no idea how to handle Ivan. Mm-hmm. Like he's so out of his depth. He keeps bringing him in and he's, he's shown him like all these fine things and he's given him like a, a steak dinner or whatever. And this is a dude from like the Russian slums. Who's like a gangster and a, a genius scientist. Who's all grungy. And he's like, he's trying to wow him with the, the the prestige and whatnot and the dude's like just give me some tools like give me a hammer and let me go to work like i don't want any and, of this. and a bird he wants his bird <laughs> yeah <laughs> i want my guru. <laughs> i did like that colson's personality started to show more in this one you got some more screen time with him after tony comes back from the office and he says like i heard you broke perimeter and 
Like, yeah, where were you? Colson just says, I was doing stuff. Yeah, I really like Colson, and I wish he would have been in more than just through the Avengers. I know he was in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but I, I haven't watched that at all. Other than the fact that it's just the introduction of Black Widow and uh, that line with uh, Tony saying, I want one. And at that point, I was just like, we all want one. Oh, and, and Elon Musk is in this for no reason at all. One cameo. I did want to mention Tony Stark's uh, personal story arc in, in this one versus like Civil War later on. Because this starts with the the meeting on the hill where he's taken a very like libertarianish stance of like this is my property you can't have it, whereas by the time we get to civil war it's like government knows best we need to do what they say and sign up for this list kind of thing it's it's just it's kind of jarring to see that transition. Hence, I'm not an Iron Man fan. Now he could just turn. Yeah, it's just it's. Odd for his character. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you just... That's the thing where it's hard. Is some, I think they handle Iron Man's character arc better in some movies than others. And I like where they are going in this direction. And then I think they, like, course correct too hard in Civil War. Yes. Because it is required because that's yeah. the premise of the Civil War um, comic line. Uh, well, not the whole movie, but the idea that him and Cap are on separate sides and everything. Uh, and, and I do not think he naturally would have gone like that. The next movie released in the MC universe was Thor. Adrian, what did you think of Thor? Thor, I actually liked it. I and it was probably one like one of my very first ones that I actually saw like right when it first came out. So I had that was my first really ex- big ex- big experience with the MCU and I really did like this movie a whole lot of more than I would think i was gonna like it because i think the cinema score was only a b plus believe it or not yeah it was only a b plus the cinema score where they actually asked the audience as they're coming out of the theater so i was just like i was really shocked when i saw the numbers behind thor and how much i actually you know up until this point this was probably my favorite uh mcu movie so but I, I, I did, and I, I did, I enjoyed this a whole lot, and it didn't make a lot of money either. So. Yeah, this movie was really pretty. Yeah, like Kenneth Branagh was they brought in to direct, and I think that was a great move. He's kind of a Shakespearean guy, and this kind of has a Shakespearean feel, even though it's Norse, but it still has that same kind of, uh, kind of tone, and I think he hit it perfectly. Yeah, Thor was the biggest winner on my list because from what I remember, like I watched Thor maybe in passing back in college when my roommate had it on, and I I remember not liking it too much. But on the rewatch, I really enjoyed it. Like, it's fun. The CGI holds up remarkably well, especially if you compare it to Captain America, where I I did not think those (laughs) scenes held up. And Chris Hemsworth is, like, amazing, and so is Tom Hiddleston in this. Like, it's just overall extremely well done. And and just one more point, uh, and I'll I'll cede some some time back to you guys on this debate. I really enjoy the, that th- he's like part of the galaxy side of this and that you're able to incorporate the Guardians and Captain Marvel and stuff into his world. The first time I watched it, I did not pick up on that stuff. Like, I still don't entirely understand what the Nine Realms and Asgard are other than I thought they're other planets, but maybe they're not. We can get more into that in the Dark World. But overall, I thought it was really well done. Yeah, it was. I 
this for me marks a turning point in the MCU where it starts to take itself a lot more seriously. I noticed this the last time I, I watched the, the Phase 1 as well as this time. The, not that the Iron Mans aren't very shiny, they are, but I think they, they're they less refined, and I think this is where people really started pouring money into this and like taking notice. Because, man, they spent good money on actors for this. You look at uh, Anthony Hopkins came in as Odin and Rene Russo came in as Friga and they got Natalie Portman and Stellan Skarsgård to, to come in. Like These are big names that really elevated the franchise when it, it needed it. Because when Iron Man was a huge hit and Hulk and Iron Man 2 were not well received even now, I think they really needed something to turn this around. And man, they got the names behind it and it worked. Well, believe it or not, Christian... <clears throat> with all those like act that you actually mentioned and stuff like that, and the production budget was only 150 million. That's amazing. Iron Man two <clears throat> was 200 million. I remember seeing a an article online like a year ago from uh, like two weeks before Thor came out that said Marvel was taking a gamble on these two relatively unknown actors, Chris Hemsworth and Tom Hiddleston, <laughs> and look at them now. Something interesting I found out about this movie was that you're essentially following a two-world storyline. So you have, I mean, this this movie is as much about Tom Hiddleston and Loki as it is about Thor. He's the one villain I think that they actually bought into. So you get you get a fully realized story on his part and as to his motivations and why he's doing things that you could actually get behind. And then you have Thor as the fish out of water on Earth once he gets kicked out of Asgard. And I think they do a much better job on this than they do in later movies like Guardians 2. I specifically remember being like, I really like the Rocket and Yondu storyline better than I like the storyline of them being on Ego's planet. And I think that Thor has done it the right way. Like, I was 100% behind both of these stories. Um, And... And understatedly, Thor's funny. Like, when the hammer drops, there's a drinking game of all the farmers going out there and trying to lift it like they're throwing a barbecue and everything. Like, that's that's <laughs> that's humorous because to- people would totally do that. Yeah, agreed. I think Thor changes as a character, and I'm, I'm going to talk a bit more about this uh, when we eventually get to Dark World, but he's, he's funny from the drop, but he's not intentionally funny. Like, all the humor of the Thor character in the beginning comes from his like fish out of water situation where like he's breaking the, the mug and going into the pet store and demanding a horse. Like that stuff's all funny, but they're not jokes. Yeah. Like Chris, Chris Hemsworth himself isn't being funny. Like he is in like Ragnarok. Yeah. So by the time they get to Ragnarok, he is, he's like fully a funny character. And I think that's one of the reasons dark world didn't work super well, but I'll, I'll, I'll wait to, to talk about that one thing that i did not think was handled well was odin made thor or mjolnir uh be only lifted if thor was worthy i don't understand in this movie how thor became worthy again he was always willing to die for like fighting and for his cause and whatnot and that's basically what made him worthy again like odin's whole thing was him learning about discretion and that war was not the right way yeah that's true it's i don't know Maybe because he learned to love. I am. I, I, I thought the Jane Foster Thor love story was like, okay, I'm glad that they eventually get rid of it. I'm, again, not a huge fan of 
love stories in movies. I thought for of of the ones in the MCU wasn't handled horribly, but glad that they eventually get rid of her. Yeah, agreed. One of my favorite scenes was when Thor and Salvig were at the bar. Because first of all, you don't want to drink with Thor, a god. And um, <clears throat> and what was it? It, it, it? I think it finally humbled Thor. And it's because he goes, anyone who's ever going to find his way in this world has to start by admitting that he doesn't know. And that's where I think it really just centered and Selvig just got ordered a, uh, what was it, a, a, a Boilermaker. Boilermaker. And <laughs> that's what did it. So, but I mean, I, and, and what I really loved is even though when Thor found out that his brother was even adopted and doing all these horrendous things, he still loves him. Yeah, so Loki is a complex character. Um, I think in this one we get maybe his purest form because he he changes over time. Like in in this one, he even says he never wanted to to live as Thor's equal. Whereas the next time we see him is in Avengers, and he wants to conquer planets and stuff. Like he's gone kind of off the rails. Like this is this is who he was before, and I don't fully know what he wants, and I think it's because he doesn't fully know what he wants. It's not very well articulated. He never wants the throne, but he'll happily take it if it, like once it's given to him. So it's like I don't know. I I do really like Loki. I feel like the MCU leans on him a bit too much sometimes, but I mean not anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I, w- I always thought he wanted his dad's approval. That's the big thing I got from the first one. And sat- like he wanted to know his dad cared about him. I will say that I think Thor has the best score of any of the oh. MCU movies, with the exception of maybe just the actual Avengers theme song. Like the music of Thor is outstanding. Actually, my favorite score is the Winter Soldier. Really? Mm-hmm. All right, so the next movie in the MCU was Captain America. What did you think of it, Adrian? I think it's the most underrated, one of the most underrated movies. Because I love the period piece. I love the fact that, um, actually, believe it or not, it's probably one of my favorite villains. I loved Red Skull. Really? Yes. And I don't know if it, it didn't make a lot of money and I would think that it would, with being every, with being Captain America and everything, they would actually say, you know, Iron Man made, Iron Man made more than Captain America. But it was just like, I, I, I don't know if people got the, but it had great actors. I know Hugo Weaving never wants to even touch the MCU again. So, but, you, dude, you got Tommy Lee Jones. Let's talk for a minute about Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> because I have him, I, I, he, I definitely have him in my spreadsheet here. Tommy Lee Jones in this movie plays himself. I'm 100% sure. <laughs> Nobody but Harrison Ford plays a better cantankerous old man than Tommy Lee Jones. And he is perfect in this movie. And I always forget he's in it. Yeah, he crushes his role as like the sergeant. 
<laughs> oh, yes. Oh, I, I mean, I completely agree. And I just even love that part where Peggy kisses Kat. And, like, even Tommy Lee Jean's logo. go, I'm not going to kiss you. And on on actors, Stanley Tucci is my favorite part of this movie. And I hate that they Tucci. killed him so, so early. When he goes to meet Steve before the procedure and he, he pours those two shots and he's like, what are you doing? You can't. You can't drink before a procedure. <laughs> You've got a test in the morning. He's like, oh, well, then I'll drink it after. Like, drink it after I already poured it. I drink it now. <laughs> he was the best. I mean, I think everyone in this acted really well. Uh, my, my biggest problem with this one, and, and prior to rewatching it, I would have said that Captain America was probably, other than my Avengers, like my favorite phase one movie. On the rewatch, like it's it's actually fallen the most. Like Thor rose and Captain America fell to where Thor was. <laughs> I was a little bit disappointed in this. It's it's way campier than I remember it being. Like the car the red skull drives is ridiculous <laughs> and completely out of place with everything in the Marvel universe. And the same thing with the plane he escapes on. It's like a sphere with the thing rotating around it that would not fly at all. Like it was just ridiculous. That car is like a hundred feet long. Yeah, it's so it makes no sense. The only problems I really had with this movie on the rewatch, I remember the second half of it, like I always really enjoyed up to him becoming regular sized Chris Evans. T- you know, tiny Tiny Chris Evans looks weird. Uh, see, it I creeped me out. I love Tiny Chris Evans. I love his origin story. I remember once him like becoming Captain America, I thought it kind of like teetered off for me. But on the rewatch, I really like the the World War II scenes, and I think the only reason I didn't like the back end of this movie the first time is because between his origin story and his like killing Hydra all over Europe story is the ridiculous Captain America musical Bond salesman story. Which oh. I cannot stand. When he's up on that stage strutting around with those girls and reading cue cards off the back of his shield, I'm just like, turn this off. <laughs> oh, and then how many times did he punch Hitler? 200 times or something. I've knocked Hitler out over 200 times. Uh, I, I will say that I'm with you, Christian. I think the. The, my favorite part of the movie, even though I think Tiny Chris Evans looks weird, is the first third because you totally get like where Captain America Steve Rogers is coming from. And that's why I like him so much. I feel they, they shove the entirety of World War II into like 20 minutes, which I think they should have elongated on because I would have liked to see more of the Howling Commandos. And then the final scene is, uh, it, it's like a standard final scene to me where he fights the bad guys. But yeah, I really did like the the World War II parts. I just wish they would expand it on them. And I wish they would expand it on his little crew. I yeah. mean, it, who were they? They get, they were... they get stories in Agent Carter. If uh, Oh, we're, okay. We're not going into the MCU TV shows because that's a whole other can of worms, but... I, I did watch the first season of Agent Carter and she has a lot of missions with the Howling Commandos. So they, they get uh, okay. they get ironed out a little better in the TV show. Okay. I was because I never I never started the Agent Carter. So I was like, all right. I was like, whatever happened to them? <laughs> yeah. The only other thing I didn't like was the weird like 
five-minute love triangle subplot they tried to shoehorn in with Natalie Dormer, of all people? She's another person. There are so many people in these movies that I forget were in these movies. Yeah, it's amazing the the breadth of actors they have making minor appearances. And by the way, how does how does a person live until I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm being stupid, but how does Steve Rogers reach the age that he is and he doesn't know what fondue is? Well, it's like the 1940s, maybe French cuisine is more of a foreign concept, and that's what I took that as. Yeah, maybe. He's just a kid from Brooklyn. Still. <laughs> he doesn't know what, what fondue. He thinks fondue is... Fondling. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, I'm, I'm with you, Eric. The, Do you guys fondue? The romantic subplots are not not what i'm here for so when they tried to do the thing with natalie dormer and when they tried to make him jealous of, of howard it was just like eh, come, like come on also this i think is one of the worst handled um like romantic interests because we don't really see too much of it on scene it's very emotional in winter soldier when she's old and has dementia and stuff but the actual on-scene stuff i remember like in my mind i was like oh yeah it was a pretty big part and i rewatched it and it's like they have like six scenes together maybe yeah, it is very strange. They spend all that time together at boot camp, and then after he becomes Captain America and he's shipped off to do musicals, like he doesn't see her again for like a year or two. That's yeah. another thing. I have no idea what the timeline or pacing movie is. <laughs> yeah, it feels like he's barely in World War Two, actually fighting. But then they're like greatest soldier ever. And it's like, well, how many Hydra bases did they take yeah, down? Yeah, they, and how they show all those Hydra bases as like one montage over the course of two minutes. All right, and to cap off our episode, we're going to be talking about the Avengers. Uh, I think everyone can agree that this was great, but we'll go into detail why we think that. Adrian, what do you think of the Avengers? Avengers was the bee's knees. It is actually number four on my all-time list. And, uh, but out of the phase one, it, it blew every, all of them out of the, all of them out of the water completely. It was just the idea of getting the whole team together. And I don't know. It's just, you get goosebumps. Yeah. So nothing like this had ever been done before. I think it's number three on my all time list for, for the MCU and, and man, it's, it holds up so well. Yeah, well, it's genius because essentially they get all the backstory that you need to know for context of who everyone is out of the way with essentially an eight-hour prequel in, you know, four or five movies. Oh, I'm sorry. It was number five on my list. Infinity War was number number four. Hmm. My apologies. Um, yeah, this was definitely my number one for phase one, like, it's a movie with five unrelated prequels. Like, given that's overshadowed by the fact that Infinity War has 18 unrelated prequels. But, like, at the time, this it, it was incredible. It's like you said, they, they get all of, the, all of the backstory out early so that they can focus on just one story in this. Yeah, and, I mean, they're all prequels, and they do such a good job with, in, like, introducing all of these characters together. They each get their own mini opening where uh, you get a sense of what the previous movie is for. Like, Captain America's in an old-timey gym beating up a punching bag. 
Hulk is hiding out in a hovel. Tony Stark's doing his high tech stuff. He's building yeah, event, uh, Stark Tower. And they, they somehow make all of those movies feel like they're in the same world. Even though if you watch them separately, like Thor does not really feel like it fits into that as much because you have Asgard and stuff. But they, they make it work with the Tesseract and you have other aliens coming in. It, it's just so well done how they introduce everything and then they set the stage for what the rest of the MCU is going to be. Yep. I should have said yes. I should have said uh at the end of Thor is the the secret ending after the credits is the first time we see an Infinity Stone. It's the post credit scene of Thor where uh Fury calls Stellan Skarsgård down into the basement at Shield and shows him the Tesseract. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, and then that's where Loki is actually, isn't it? Loki that is, you know, Salvig is already, you know, starting to go under his spell. Yeah, he's like in the mirror or something. Yes. But that, so, that's another thing that doesn't make sense because, you know, watching these right after another, I saw that and then you see Loki turn Selvig with the scepter once he gets in there. So it was like, I get they were teasing it, but it, it, it wasn't very great continuity. Yeah. But... On on the line of the Infinity Stones, Avengers is the first time you get a glimpse of Thanos, and it's not until the post credit scene, like you you see his back and that when they're Loki and the mouth are talking to him, but it's not till that post credit scene that he turns around and smiles, and you finally get your first idea of this is where this franchise is going for the next geez eight years. Yeah. Um. So. I actually completely forgot. I guess I didn't even realize the first time I watched it that the Chitari were Thanos' thugs and that Loki had come to him for that army. I thought Loki had just found some random sect and then that was the end was Thanos was there. I never put two and two together. That was like, oh, that's what that was. I, I, I was so off base on that. And at this point, Thanos didn't have a voice actor. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wait. Because he does not yeah, speak right. for the first time until Guardians of the Galaxy. They didn't have Josh Brolin until Guardians. Okay. And I just felt bad for Hawkeye in this movie. Because he, he he just gets the bum rap the entire time. I mean, he gets, he, he gets front, front and center, and then all of a sudden he gets compromised. Unpopular opinion, Hawkeye is my second favorite Avenger. Uh, I agree with you. It's Cap, and then it's Hawkeye. Uh, I will agree with you. I will agree with you only for Age of Ultron. <laughs> I love Hawkeye, and I think it's because because of Age of Ultron. But I even liked him in this. I even liked him in Thor. I mean, when he says, uh, "You want to give me the order because I'm starting to root for I'm this guy." Starting to root for this guy, yeah. <laughs> I think the biggest surprise, or not surprise, but sort of jarring if you're watching all these movies, is Mark Ruffalo, but he is such a better Bruce Banner. Oh my god. In every way. Yeah. Like, when they're standing on the helicarrier, and he goes, is this a sub? (laughs) Oh no, this is so much worse. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's... I have a, a cell in my spreadsheet for Avengers that is literally just a list of, like, great moments and great lines, like, Security breach. He was adopted. Uh, th- this is so much worse. <laughs> Doth mother know you weareth her drapes? Like it was, it was perfect. There were so many characters that they had developed their personalities over their own movies, and they just so well together. It's like even when Loki 
you know, who is it when Iron Man uh, attacks Thor on top of the rock and he and then Loki goes, I'm waiting. <laughs> and where where'd you go? Oh, yeah. I think my favorite scene is uh, in Stuttgart where they uh, they first encounter Loki as a team and Iron Man hacks the PA system on the Quinjet to play ACDC, which is a, a great callback to Iron Man uh, 2 because it had the ACDC soundtrack the whole way through. You know, I think all of their set pieces in this movie, they hit out of the park. Some of the later ones, I don't think they do as good of a job, and I think it's partly because they have too many characters. The number of Avengers they have in this one is perfect. You have this scene in Stuttgart. You have the fighting scene in the forest with the three of them. You have the attack on the, the helicarrier, and then you have the Battle of New York. And all of them perfectly use the characters where they're doing something that's believable, even though some of them disappear a little bit, like Captain America in the Battle of New York. But he's, you know, he's saving civilians. That's what he does. And in the later ones, you don't get as much. But on this one, they they nail it. Yeah, I agree. Yep, I completely agree. The uh, a couple of things I wanted to point out: Phase Two. Or, I mean, not not phase two of the MCU, but phase two in world is what they they called the Hydra weapons that Fury and Shield were developing, which mm-hmm. at the time seems just like a like oh wow like Shield is doing something shady bummer, but it's it's a pretty <laughs> cool uh, kind of flash forward or a bit of foreshadowing for Winter Soldier where like Shield yes. is making Hydra age. Uh, Shield is making Hydra weapons because Shield is Hydra, like straight up. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I did not think of that, but that's that's true. That's a good point, uh, man. There, this movie just so well done. What do you guys think of the essentially Loki being captured, a la Joker in the Dark Knight Rises, or sorry, the Dark Knight, and then turning the team against each other with the infiltration squad and everything. <laughs> well, his na- main initiative, Loki, he wanted to be caught. Mm-hmm. Correct, and yeah. it was to get the Hulk to come out. Yeah, because it, it was just like it was a brilliant plan. He was like, "I am on this craft, and it's about to go down because the green guy is going to come out." So, I'm yeah. not a huge fan of this plot device, but I definitely, <laughs> I definitely acknowledge that it needed to be there. Like. I think I'm not a big fan of it because I don't like seeing, I don't like seeing the friends fighting, but um, <laughs> it's it's like Fury says in in the movie they need the push like they they are their own individual movies they're their own individual franchises and they are their own individual characters with their own personalities they need some kind of catalyst to draw them into the Avengers and before that happens they need to be torn down and and reassembled yeah and number one i want to i love agent colson and it's unfortunate that he theoretically dies in this movie but his interactions with captain america are spot on and that makes it even more heartbreaking when nick fury is like he carried these on these and it's really colson that galvanizes tony and uh, Steve Rogers to work together, even though you know they're manipulated by uh, Nick Fury for that push. But Coulson is a real loss to the cinematic universe. He is, I agree. Yes, and then it, it was it was so it was so adorable of how he was just fanboying over Captain America, like when he first meet him. You know, 
I, I like on the on the Quinjet. He was like, yeah, there, yeah. It, it was just so cute. But anyways, yeah, I um, I don't know. He then when Natasha comes up to Steve, you show him, yeah, you know, the trading card jet. There's trading cards. <laughs> He's very proud. <laughs> this movie is like low-key funny especially uh my favorite is when tony goes to talk to loki in stark tower and loki goes to turn him and just hits the <laughs> arc reactor it's like timing wise it's just comedic gold yeah <laughs> uh, performance issues one in five <laughs> my my favorite like single line is he was adopted oh yeah oh I heard that actually caused a lot of controversy at at, at the time. It caused a tiny bit, yeah. The, the people were like, <laughs> it's not bad to be adopted. But, like, that is a genuinely funny line, and nothing can take that away. <laughs> he killed, um, what was it like? He killed 37 people in three days. Like, he was adopted. So, I think this movie started the trend in all of, essentially, the team-up movies, where the final 40 minutes of the movie is dedicated to a large battle. And... Again, like I think they did it well here. I don't think they nailed it as well in some of the later movies. Yeah, this one works, and I think I think it works because of what you said, which is this is the perfect number of heroes. Like when once you and God knows I love Infinity War, and it is number one on my list because it works in a lot of other ways. But once you have like fifteen to seventeen protagonists that you need to be keeping track of, they handle it well. But man, like it's tough. And I think keeping track of five people and one villain was just so much easier. And I, I think it made for a much smoother final battle. Well, at least with Infinity War, they had him on separate planets. That's true. If you, I mean, I mean, they had what with you know with Doctor Strange with uh, Spider Man and the, some of the Guardians, and then Thor was off with Rocket somewhere else, and then everybody else was on Earth. So I mean that 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 kind of helped. But with Age of Ultron, there was way too much going on. You had the correct point, yeah, where it had just the right amount of protagonist. Bigger and always better. And you also, also you get to see Tony's hero moment uh, deciding to sacrifice himself for really the first time where it's, they alluded to it earlier in the movie where, uh, I think it's this movie where it's, what do you what do you do when the chips are down and there's a no win situation? And Tony's answer is always, "I'll find a way." And he's finally uh, confronted with the scenario where the only way really is for him to give the ultimate sacrifice, which he ends up surviving and everything. But it is his true hero moment where you think he's going to take that next step, and then like they falter with Iron Man three, I think. But yeah. he he looks good in this one. Spe- yes. Speaking of. Uh alluding to the future in earlier in the movie the the guy playing galaga and then they essentially have to play real life galaga in the battle of new york <laughs> oh yeah with the okay i see what you mean the, i see what you're that man is playing there. galaga he thought we wouldn't notice but we did yeah <laughs> this this movie changed me as a person like i just i loved it i watched it that first time and i remember having a conversation with two of my friends that weekend where I'd already seen it twice, and I was like, I feel like if I'm not actively watching the Avengers, something's wrong. Like, I should, every minute I'm awake, I should be watching the Avengers. Yeah. And then another uh, jerk uh, comment by uh, Tony Stark, 
He's looking at the screens and he goes, what eye does he look at? What eye? And then Maria Hill goes, he turns his head. (laughs) Oh, too much work. (laughs) So many of these movies since Avengers, but Avengers was the first. Like, it puts me just in a mood for, like, future stuff and tech. And I always come home and I'm like, how can I make my house smarter? I need a smart thermostat. I need voice controls on everything. Like, I want to be able to get into my car and be like, start. It's it's mostly the Iron Man's after Avengers, but Avengers is the first one I can remember being like, I need my life to be, like, lit with thin blue lights. I need everything to be voice controlled. And then we have Alexa. Yep. <laughs> She'll do for now. Till I can get a Jarvis. So I think Avengers still holds up extremely well. I think it's probably my favorite and the best movie of phase one. Like you guys, it's in my top five. I, I haven't finished watching the last seven, so I don't know where it will ultimately end up. It's number three right now, and I'm through halfway through Ant-Man. Um, but I think it was like the perfect way to cap off what their idea was. This was probably one of the first movies when you actually sat down and you're like, oh, I think I know what the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going to be all about. So it's like one of those where you sit down and you're like, I'm in for a ride. Yep. And then we started Phase 2 with Iron Man 3. <laughs> Such a Debbie Downer. So... But I think, what was it, Marvel... It, it, the thing is, is what it made 1.5 billion and it only had a 50 percent drop from the second weekend it's pretty good so yeah a lot of people went back to see it my one of my favorite moments is when the in the battle of new york and cap was giving all of his orders and stuff like that he was like okay tony you do the perimeter hawkeye i need you up high uh who else is it thor i need you to bottleneck that portal and he just turns to hulk and he goes Hulk, smash. And that's just, that was just such a cheesy, but yet it was just like, you you wanted to stand up and go, yes! Yeah, I think my only complaint about this movie is the how the battle ends. So I've seen this described, I, I think it was called the Mothership Solution. And it's basically Independence Day, right? They destroy, oh. they, they blow up. They blow up the mothership, and that, for some reason, kills all the soldiers? Yeah, my guess is they are somehow, like, remotely controlled. That that was my my guess. Uh, yeah, I like, they seemed like they were just aliens, but, I mean, I don't know. It was just... I, I've seen that in so many movies, where you, you blow up one thing, and it's like, oh, saved everything, because for some reason, all of the enemy's resources was tied through that one hub. But that seemed a little cheap, like... Even if they had stretched it out five more minutes of like, okay, the like the mothership's gone, nothing else is coming, the portal is closed. Just spend two, three minutes like sweeping up the streets, you know, like clean clean the like the fifty or so that are still down there. It wouldn't have been hard. It's it's, it's just frustrating to have it end that kind of cheaply.
Join us next week where we enter into our next phase of discussing the Marvel movies in preparation for Endgame. If you want to reach out to us, uh, you can find us on Twitter. We're at Gambus Network, or you can email us. We're gambus.blog at gmail.com if you have suggestions for our Amazon review game, uh, which we'll be getting back to after we uh, finish this special. And uh, I, we want to thank Adrian for coming on, and I, I think thanks. you'll be back next week. Yes, I'll be back next week, and thanks for having me on tonight. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for listening.